0: There's no shortage of reasons why Schooly D is a trailblazer. Off the top, he is indeed the undisputed creator of gangster rap. He is a rapper's rapper, influencing iconic rappers who've gone on to influence generations of rappers. He was an entrepreneur before it was cool for rappers to be businessmen. During the 80s, he was embraced by fans abroad and began to tour globally and perform with giants of punk such as The Clash and Fishbone. His music has been sampled a multitude of times in many genres. In the early 90s, he was recruited by acclaimed director Abel Ferreira to provide music for his films, including cult classics King of New York starring Christopher Walken and Lawrence Fishburne and Bad Lieutenant starring Harvey Keitel. He also composed for Ferrer's The Blackout, featuring Hollywood legend Dennis Hopper. For three decades, his music has continued to be licensed for film, including 2018's White Boy Rick. He created the intro track for the hit cartoon series Alpha Teen Hunger Force, which boasts an astonishing 11 seasons on the air. As a graphic designer, he created a one-of-a-kind visual brand with his distinctive line art depictions of himself. As a musical force, he built a legacy that is unrivaled. He remains an irreverent and enigmatic figure years after his timeless and minimalistic masterpieces, Gucci Time, PSK, and Saturday Night. In this in-depth interview, Schoolie discusses his storied career an up-and-coming album and insight into a lifetime of uncompromised creativity that shows no sign of slowing down. It is my pleasure to introduce the Schoolie D interview. Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've preached it. Talk to me a little bit about your first inspiration as far as hip-hop is concerned.
1: I want to say it went from feeling that Dance to the Drummer's Beat by Herman Kelly was the. It was never, ever, 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 ever going to be a song better than that
2: mm-hmm.
1: to hearing Sugar Hill Gang. I was talking to this kid, this dumb kid the other day. He's in his 30s. And I was like, dude, y'all understand. Y'all y'all take, taking hip-hop and rap and the culture and spinning and the dancing. Y'all taking that shit for... For so granted, because just imagine one day it wasn't the fuck there. This shit wasn't the fuck there, and you wake up the very like I woke up from the Sugar Hill Gang, and all of a sudden life was different for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. Life was different for everybody. So I moved back down to Atlanta, and my my homie Pimp Pretty used to send me records down all the time, and the one that hit me was rapping and rocking the house by the fucking Four Plus One. Then mm-hmm. think that was the one. That was close to like my life, it was an honesty, not the whole bullshit of "I gotta keep it real" of the nineties, not that bullshit I'm talking about it was an honesty, but the honesty of it all went through like you know the imagination, like you can honestly use your imagination, you could float back and back and forth, and it, and it was it was seamless mm-hmm. it was seamless, like now you know, like I think. When NWA came, you honestly understood that there was, um, theatrics now involved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you know, like with, the, with their videos and Dr. Dre and the the subject matters. You know what I'm saying? But but before that, it was like because uh, I, I was raised to be an artist, and it was just like I was going to be an artist when I grew up. So it was like that's honest. And I can use my, I can, I could be what I want to be. And it's, when I did meet Bootsy Collins, he's just like, scuba dooba, baby, you got to do it. Just keep it in the cartoon world. You can do anything you want to do, brother. Hmm. And that's, that's the beauty of the original hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You talking about going around the world, just meeting all the fly girls in Hawaii and fucking everybody to like, just getting some Chiba and some black rolling in the fucking hot rides <laughs> up in Brooklyn. Those two things don't match. Today but they match because that was his reality was just like you know, was, you know the folk before the reality was just like no, this is our reality, this is where we live, but our minds can take us to Hawaii right cruise around the world in my yacht, I was like, yeah yeah, and the, and with that rea- with that and with reality holding grasping onto your dreams, and if you if you just enough on earth, you can connect with all your fucking dreams. And that's what... And, and just imagine, there was nothing like that to the fuck there. Funk music had dried up.
2: There was
1: no more bands because they they, they they knocked off all the stages and made disco floors. So there it was, it was no place... There was no place for, for funk and soul guys to play. There was still places, like, because you didn't have the people that really did dance to rock, they just stood up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. they still had places for rock and roll guys to go, but they didn't have any places left for black guys to go and play instruments.
2: Right. And
1: so, you know what I mean? So it was just like, so, but that first fucking stretch, damn, you <laughs> heard the stretch the first time. It was like, damn. And I was planning on being an artist. I'm a painter, but also was, um, we had a family band when I was like seven,
2: eight,
1: mm-hmm. nine, I played the guitar in it. Um, so I just, I was going to grow up to be an artist anyway. But um I just didn't have James Brown voice. I mm-hmm. knew I was gonna sing rap, create music, create beautiful paintings and art and sculptures and furniture. I knew I was gonna, it was no, it was, nobody had to like, I came to earth with my tools and my tool bag. Nobody, you know what I'm saying? And I believed in all that shit. I was raised in the 60s when motherfuckers was just like, you can be the fuck you wanna be. And I said, oh, okay. All right. I think that's missing today. I don't think these kids believe they could be anything they want to be. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? We, if we, that was the 60s or something, because I tell these kids, it's like, dude, we couldn't even vote then. we yeah. <laughs> were still trying to fucking vote. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was 10 years from slavery. I mean, I understood how it started. I understood that it started out of the frustration from all the murders and all the gangs in New York and all the drugs, and just like, that I had to do something. That's something, man, that fire is still flowing. It's grown, that fire is still going. It's still fucking going. And they all laughed at us, because think about the 80s. In the 80s, it was like a fucking 158 new genres of music. It was punk, funk, new wave, punk, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they all laughed at rap and hip right. hop. They fucking laughed at us. And who was the last one standing? Mm-hmm. Bitches. Whenever I meet one of those motherfuckers, I laugh right in their face. If I could spit in their face and, and not get arrested. I do it. I'm a fucking <laughs> bitch. I mean that bullshit you was talking about back in 1980. Fucking four. Talking about we wasn't going to survive. us a fucking fat. Was Man, never I taken seriously. I said it. I said it for, said it for all of us. I said it for all of us. Schooly D said it for all of us. We don't go. give a fuck about them because they didn't give a fuck about us. There
0: you go. So, but what definitely is fascinating and impressive is that not only did you have the wherewithal to record, because as you mentioned, you know there wasn't a lot. I think some people have a misconception of those days. You know, I'm I, as, as yeah. I mentioned, I'm from the South Bronx, so people think. On every corner, people were rapping and breakdancing, you know, and, and us, the folks that did that in many ways were aliens because it wasn't like yeah. everybody was doing it, you know? So you know, Everybody wasn't doing it. So I, this... I I wonder from your perspective, not only did you go there, but on top of that, you you were an entrepreneur, you made your own records. Can you talk a little bit about that leap from recording to actually being the, the, the boss of your own company?
1: Oh, I'll I I say something when I was growing up. Well, and they say it everywhere you got about 100, 100 hours to do something you're professional, either professional or you're novice. And after mine carrying records around and plugging shit in and plugging shit out and doing this and doing that, being on stages and small stages, it was like, it was two, three summers of that. It was like it was time to be a professional. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was like my, my time as a novice was over. And when I wanted to record, I didn't know it because, you know, when we grew up, it's like, I don't know about up in New York, but in Philly, we had WDAS, FM. And, and I tell kids today, too, there was no FM when we grew up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it was no fucking FM. It was no, it was no Hot 97. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We had AM radio. And then one day somebody flipped. I remember them flipping the switch on a.m. fucking radio, the first song I fucking heard was, Jeremiah was a bullfrog,
2: and
1: <laughs> then I heard, like, dum, dum, chocolate City. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And coming around the mountain, when she comes, coming around the my fucking dollar, you know what I'm saying? That was, that was shit you can hear, like, a, at after 9 o'clock, you can hear shit, god damn, get off your ass, you, know, you heard they played Richard Pryor albums on the radio. Wow. At midnight. They mm-hmm. used to call it the, a blue hour. It was like a blue point. hour. It was like, yeah. So <laughs> my ignorance, my exuberance and my ignorance, um, and plus I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to be, because I'm I'm I was also being trained as a, as, a, as a fine artist. It was like, so I hung around a lot of artists and poets. Mm-hmm. It was like, you got to be honest. So with my honesty and my ignorance and my talent all rolled up in one fucking ball, I was, you know what I'm saying? The first song I was writing was on the corner, selling some weed, and then came along to suck the suck and he said, yo, Holmes, what's up with that? I pulled my eight, and he gave them back. I didn't think that was violent. <laughs> <laughs> it was the challenge was set to me because, I mean, come on, it's like the second wave of rappers. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for, I'm talking about like me, Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. L.L., Chuck D., You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Flavor Flaves, you know, KRS-One, Two Live Crew. Without, you know what I'm saying? Ice t Without that second wave, it might have died. Some people, without us saying like, you know what? Fuck that bullshit. So so when I started making my recordings, and I I remember um, going to the studio, and it was like all of us and I didn't know the other 13 members of the crew didn't believe in it as much as I did mm-hmm. until I spoke the studio time five or six times and mm-hmm. didn't show up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the dude just like, dude, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I guess I still got to charge you, but I'm going to do you something solid this time.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm not
1: going to charge you for the next couple times, and I'm going to teach you how to produce.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, huh? He said, because you you know how to... It's like they, and then the crew, they gave me the drum machine, so... Two weeks later, I was the master of that shit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because, you know, my brother played drums and I knew how to, you know what I'm saying? I knew what drums are supposed to sound like, but I knew what, you know, those crazy rhythms in my head. I knew how to produce that, but he performed that, but he was just like, let me show you how to produce this shit. I was like, huh, really? So you shouldn't need anybody.
2: Mm.
1: Cause you're, you're, you, play, you play guitar, you play bass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. You know what middle C is on the keyboard? <laughs> Why, why wouldn't you, you write your own rhymes, right? It's like, yeah, you know what you want the song to sound like. So he told me these guys, to, these older cats they told me to produce. So
0: what, what drum after, machine was that on, on, uh, on your first record, Gangsta Boogie? And we was
1: using something like the Lindrum. Okay. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was like a studio thing. Because before that, um, there was like Dr. Rhythm.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And, and there was the, um, the keyboards... Mm-hmm. They had that. They had that drum machine on the end of the keyboard. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's and a lot of people don't live, understand they're, they're those original boxes that Grandmaster Flash used. But but that's what um, all those those funk groups use. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, George Clinton was used that. You know. You, you know what i On Chocolate City.
2: The, right. the, uh,
1: um, Sly Stone used that on Family Affair because the, the group the group quit because he. <laughs> fucking stored it up for fucking events. <laughs> so he, that's, that's why Family Affair has that it's like a drum machine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we people the people we black people we was using as drum machines. Right. But you know well, for decades mm-hmm. on those keyboards and but after that I got the tape I did that in 82. So I made tapes for of the first up the gangster boogie mm-hmm. and it was a band sitting in there. I'm talking about man with 10, 15 tape recorders a fucking summer with no, with a little bit of air conditioner. Like dude, we got up to like, you know what I'm saying? Three, four, 400 of those things in like a, like a month. And just in a like, wait a minute, man. Why,
2: why am I sitting
1: in, this, sitting in this room? Wow. Why why am I press records up?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All I did was like looking at the fucking yellow pages and mm-hmm. had records I'll press them up get your labels made and record distributors right the fuck there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That was a great because remember that commercial? It's like the fingers the walking through the yellow pages.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And I was just like, that was magic. And I did. And like, and again, being ignorant, I got them pressed up. and I remember my mother asking me, like, what the fuck is you going to do with a bunch of records? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: but I knew my man, Chino down at Focal and I remember because we was all with a DJ crew, also. So we would go down on Thursdays and Fridays, and this white van used to come from New York. It used to go from New York to Philly to DC. So that's how we got the go go. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got, you know, the crash crew and all that shit. And all those, like, you know what I'm saying? And all those B sides to mm-hmm. Grandmaster's Flash, Live and all. So, <laughs> so we talked to my man Chino and Sound the Market and all those guys. He was like, we knew him. He like, yeah, you know. And they liked it. And it was like, yo. So I remember to do like 100 records, took it down to D.C., because he was going to sell them in New York, took mm-hmm. it to D.C., and I remember being home, he sold all 100 in D.C., I remember, because was, was I was on the L, L train, and one <laughs> time I got home, my mother called, and said, yo, this guys from New York called, this hit another 100 records. Wow. So, I, and that was it, because I had, like, I pressed up, like, 250, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And after you give away, like, 30,
2: mm-hmm. so I took
1: the other 100 down, I had, like, that the I had left, you know I'm saying? But I had the money, so I got some more pressed up, and more pressed up. And then there was something like that, so then I get a call from from ADB. And, and, cause, you know, back then, they had mm-hmm. the charts, whatever was selling in in the record shop, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? That's what they wanted to play. And she said, she had the only hip-hop show. She said, bring it down, let me, let me hear it. To the radio station, and it was just like, man, walk well, in the summertime, 95-degree heat. I was light skinned when I started that walk. I was a black <laughs> ass. <laughs>
2: when I finished, I, was... <laughs> I
1: was I was African black.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: And I get there, she was like, "I can't play that shit," and I didn't understand. I like, thought so she thought it was bad. I'm like,
2: "What? Right. I can't play this?
1: Like, what are you talking about? You're talking about like, you know what I'm saying? I'm on the L, pulling pistols, smoking weeds. And, uh, I'm like, give this what We do." <laughs> That's what, that's what we do in our neighborhood, and obviously in New York and, and DC too, because we just sold you know a couple hundred records there. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it might sound silly, a couple hundred records today,
2: but mm-hmm.
1: if you sell two hundred records in one day back then mm-hmm. in '83, you was a fucking star. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like what ten rap groups, right. and nine and a half of them was from New York. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was like. I fucking sat outside, man, it wasn't, I wanted to fucking cry, but it wasn't about me. It was about, I was so proud to tell the story of 52nd and Parkside because,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like I said, like the late 80s, and, late 70s and the early 80s, when well, you know, fucking so New York, it was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, they ain't going talk about no black people. We just felt like it was just being overlooked.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? And it was like no, like, it was like all the all stuff on like, TV was just like so cliche, black. Mm-hmm. Like, I also shoulders show, don't do things for your balls? That people don't talk like that, was raised in the South too, I ain't never met nobody like right. that, damn that, motherfucker. Right. And it was like so important, I man. I was just like, who the fuck is gonna tell a story then if this shit? If I can't tell it with this shit. So luckily I was just, I was sitting out there and um, the station director pulled up in his Rolls Royce. Wow. And he saw me and I told him my story. He said, come on in, listen to it. It'll be on in two weeks. Wow. So they did the so they did edit, took out the customers, and it was, and it was just like, boom, boom, <laughs> boom. And, um, and me and Lady B, we developed a relationship, and we still have a friendship mm-hmm. relationship. We got a cap on the day mm-hmm. you know, people. But it was just like, and she was, and to this day, she's like, you know, I'll just fucking, and people say that, which is, which is a good thing to my, to my soul, it's like, because you haven't changed in a good way. you know you knew you did you you do your your music is like art and you haven't changed in a good way so once she started playing my records it was um, you know and if if I did something that she really wanted to play that she would you know she would I got used to she would do my edit my radio edits I think I did like three songs out of like close to 400 songs maybe I did three songs radio edits because I just didn't I just could not I couldn't feel it I couldn't feel it but that's 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 the answer to that question.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I noticed that that first record has been uh, early on was released on multiple. At least it had different yeah. label names. Was it that you would change the name every time you pressed it, or was it different companies we were working uh, with?
1: No, nah, I was working with another record company because once you know once once it came on the radio, it was like the demand was just like it went from like a couple hundred to like a couple thousand, right, Mm -hmm. real quick, Mm -hmm. like real quick. And I met some older guys, um, and they were just like, you know, let us, you know, we're going to come in, we're going to handle it for you. And I thought it was a partnership.
2: Mm.
1: (laughs) It turned out to be a record deal. I was like, Mm. I was like two weeks into that. I was like, whoa, what? I hired the lawyer after.
2: Right. (laughs)
1: And because you know, you didn't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, so I was like, and it was weird because I kept saying, call them partners, and they kept looking at each other funny, mm-hmm. like, they mm-hmm. don't know you're a slave. Wow. <laughs> and so I got out of that shit quick. I got out of that shit quick. They just, they, my lawyer was just like sent a couple gangsters over there and said, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. They ripped the contract up that day. Right, right. And I get a call, and it's just like, you, you got to you, be you on your own again. Which is and and I remember it was scary because now you got to learn. I remember thinking about older guys, and now you got to learn business. Right now you got to learn business. Now you got to learn distribution, and then then then, then, then license, and then it's and that's that's so that's uh, then it was like then back then it was just like it was a bunch of like you know it was, it was a few bootleg bootlegging mm-hmm. you know and people were po- people were bootlegging shit back then they do not like give a fuck they didn't think that shit was going to last two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was forty years. That's you know,
2: right. four,
1: four fucking months they gave it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that, that was the confusion of all the all the different regulators.
0: Right, and then in regard to the business side, you also had the wherewithal early on to maintain your publishing, to keep your publishing. Was that something yeah. that you learned before you started making records? Did that come from the attorney you hired, or
1: what? I think that was just innate because you know it was like. You know, if you, ever, if you ever had a job and you mm-hmm. had to, like, like the only other job I had was um, I was a manager at the shoe store
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they taught me the books. So it's mm-hmm. the manager, they, they, they you know, they wanted back. They wanted me to stay. It was like Hanover. They were just like, you could be regional manager. You could be, so I was like, you know, I had to get the gap. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I was black. It was like, well, people wanted like that. I wasn't token black, but they wanted, like, it was that, that era where it's like, you know, we have this hot black dude, who's gonna, you know, so it's like they taught me the whole business. So I knew uh, I was reading spreadsheets and all that shit. So, oh, yeah, so how much do we pay for these shoes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we sell it for that. Yeah, but then we put them on sale for that. Like, the markup for closing the shoes is like 500%. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So then I started figuring all that shit out. So going going over that, and it, it was just like, um... And then we were doing, in fact, like, Hanover shoes—you would do a licensing deal. Like, you know, it was, um, let's say Nike had a shoe. Mm-hmm. And, and then a couple of years afterwards, Nike would license that style to Hanover.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Hanover, they sold a, a cheaper version of Nike or New Balance, or they paid, they paid New Balance and Nike, right. and they would pay them money to use, you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so that's what I learning about, like, licensing and things of that sort. Mm. So was your so phone... Was your
0: phone blowing up after that, that? record took off. the The first one I know that was obviously before yeah, Gucci was. time.
1: Yeah, it was. It was blowing up, and then and then I did a, a, a mistake. I was, mm. it was. It was. It was. for a good reason, but it was a mistake. It was like, and it, and it turned out to be like the Philadelphia mural Arts. They was doing a thing against um, graffiti, so I wrote these two songs about graffiti. That's the first time I I, I took the money to write a song, mm. and I thought it was going I thought they wanted like a, a like a verse, but they wanted like two songs, and I did it, and I felt so low of myself that I quit. Mm. <laughs> I was thinking, man, if I do that shit on my second record, I ain't never gonna be I'm never gonna make a change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Royal Rhyme, remember we were like we we were on the L. I was saying, and he was just like, dude, the fuck is you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> he said, "This is fucking crazy. Stop talking that bullshit. <laughs> he was born for this life. He was... And it all, like two weeks later, it all hit. Two weeks later, I met Kobe, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, A friend of mine, Manny, who's um, passed now, mm-hmm. he was the one who gave me the idea for PSK. He's like, mm-hmm. well, what you talking about? Because talking, because you know, like every rap record came out of New York was talking about
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know Brooklyn and bomb, You know what I'm saying? No rocks and money mm-hmm. making in Manhattan. So once you talking about like you know Parkside killings, but mm-hmm. we we got something to say. And then my other homie Abdul, he was just like, and you always wearing that Gucci shit.
2: Mm.
1: And I was like, yeah. So I start writing, and um and um then I met Cole. Cole just walked up to me and said, Yo, man, I think you need a new DJ. And he was still in high school. And two weeks later. You recorded PSK and Goopsy Town. Mm. Just like that. Mm. And it was like but I but it wasn't just like that. I tell cats now. It was like it was the twenty-one years that led up to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so you spend your whole youth like dreaming about what you want to do and writing and, and, and you know what I'm saying, like practicing your adults or practicing how to throw the best spiral or practicing your bass or, your, you know what I'm saying, or practicing how your best strokes and stuff like that or, you know, practicing to be a pimp or whatever you want to do. You spend that, that, and that's where the energy came from the first four albums. Mm. That's what because like all that pent energy came from that. So, um so that was, that was, yeah, I think, like Royal Ron and Abdul and just go and pretty. <laughs> man, just take those motherfuckers. I was just like, man, I was, I was disgusting with myself. I was just like, man, I don't think any true artist could just take money just for that. But
2: mm. you know,
1: especially in the beginning, not mm-hmm. in the beginning, when you establish, when you establish yourself, mm-hmm. you can do stuff for money. Cause you know, you know who you are, but when you're young, you should never just do stuff for money. I, I hate what I hear cats talking about, I'm just trying to make money. Well, don't talk to me then, because right. you're just trying to bastardize and tempt your own people. That's what you're doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't give me that bullshit. I was trying to change the world.
0: No question. And, and Gucci Time and PSK, clearly, uh, two of the most iconic songs in hip-hop. After that record blew up independently, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about how quickly the business and, and your life changed. Ah, uh, about four
1: months. Mm. I remember I was, um, um, cause, um, I started doing a lot of tours in Florida and that was right, right around the time the Miami base started mm-hmm. and Miami base was like schooly and through throughout crew and Mantronics mm-hmm. that boom, stup, boom. we were down there like every week and doing tours like everywhere. Um, um, and it was, um, it was like I kept going I was in Miami and my mother was like man I would come home with these bags of cash and and like I didn't even even think I didn't even think about like putting in the bank and she was just like go look in your room (laughs) I literally had 10 fucking suitcases
0: oh my
1: goodness filled with with fucking like you know those those carry-ons wow and 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 cash under she was like somebody gonna come rob and kill me wow (laughs) <laughs> somebody, somebody knew that money was in here. He said, like, "You need a bank account," and I was just like, "Like I was like the stuff from the record went mm-hmm. to the bank account
2: mm-hmm. because
1: those were checks from mm-hmm. Sports Brothers and all the distributors. Those were checks." But then I realized, "This uh, shit, shit, I'm making double the money.
2: Mm.
1: I'm, make, I'm fucking producing the records, and I own the record label,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm the artist too." Um. What was the question?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I was just trying to figure that
1: took, out how... <laughs> that, took me, that took me back. That took me back to like... That shit was just... I'm like thinking like, holy fucking shit.
0: I mean, I wow. would imagine that was a significant change. You had a room full of money. I was trying to figure out how quickly and how your life changed four months. after that record.
1: Yeah. It, was four, it was four months after um, PSK came out. Mm-hmm. Four months. It was mm-hmm. that fast. It was like, boom. And I remember... Um, the guys, I remember, like you know, it's he, like those movies. The guys who like work at the shoe store, like Al are like you'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> but all the black guys was just like you'll be back. Wow. But all the white dudes was like, dude, you ain't coming back. are you? if you do, you, you can, you know, you could be assistant manager, you could be regional manager, you could do, you could have whatever job you want. But the white guys are just like, man, we don't think you are coming back because you're talented.
2: Mm.
1: All them brothers was jealous. It was like, man, that's corny. Rappers
2: are
1: fat. You know what I mean. And it was just like I didn't come back. Came back to say what's up. I came back to say what's up. <laughs> <laughs> say what's up.
0: <laughs> so were you were you getting were you getting uh, calls for shows overseas at that point during the Gucci time?
1: Right, right about right after that, mm-hmm. um, I was starting. Um, I just finished doing the PSK album. Mm-hmm. PSK and I just started on the Saturday Night album.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I get a call from Mick Jones mm. um, wow. from the class. Mm-hmm. I, was starting a, um, I was starting a new group called Big Audio Dynamite. Mm-hmm. I didn't want either me or the Beastie Boys to, to open up. Mm. The Beastie Boys didn't want to do it because it was like, uh, some, you know, I don't, from what I understand, they didn't want to be spit on Because back then, punk rock, there was, it was like a punk rock audience in the UK, mm. like 85, 86. And I turned it down because I was like, in Miami, I was a group of 2 live crew in Miami. I was chilling. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And back then, you know what I'm saying? I was making like, like 10 to 10 grand a week on just just performing. And plus, selling all those fucking records. His records was getting up to like 350,000, 375,000. Wow. And, and, and the most of them was being sold in New York. Mm. I was crazy. I was just like, why would I want to go the, to the UK? And um, I was talking and then and he called me up, Nick McDonald's was like, look, I'll get you um first class flights over and it's gonna be amazing. And he said the one thing he said he was like, and you know, Chris Schwartz talked me into it also. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's like rap groups have gone over to the UK and to London and said, but you no know, rap group has already has toured the whole UK yet.
2: Mm. You'll be the
1: first rap group to tour the UK. Wow. So I was just like, All right, I'll do it. And I was going to be over there like a couple months. I was mm-hmm. just like, hell yeah! Um, so that that trip changed everything, as they say, everything. What's that commercial? Everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it changed everything. Mm-hmm. It changed everything. It changed. It 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 automatically. I went from um, an underground hip hop mm-hmm. to an underground punk 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 hip hop group mm-hmm. just like that just just for the association with, with Mick Jones and all those guys And I came back and I was like doing stuff like the Butthole Surfers mm-hmm. and Fishbone and Lenny Motorhead and, you know what I'm saying and and I didn't realize what we were doing until code was like dude when's the last time we see some black people <laughs> wow. said, it's, been, it's been almost two years <laughs> wow. I didn't notice because all I saw was the people right you know what I'm saying all I saw was the people
0: and what was that reception like over in uh, in Europe?
1: Oh, it was fucking amazing because we did the first tour with the um, under the PSK album, and then mm-hmm. the second tour was so big. Well, it released Saturday Night, we did a whole tour of a Saturday Night album tour. Mm. That was unheard of. Right. We was we was like the, the the second time going over. We was headlining, and that was extremely amazing. Wow. Amazing, and. And it also, um, like my writing style, like like in America, the writing style and the beat style is more towards like the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Like Marley Marl did an amazing job. Wherever Marley Marl touched, it was like dance floor, boom. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, my reputation became more like whatever I touched, it was gonna be a little off center. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's a little bit off center and, and no matter how much I tried, I was just I'm just a little off-center. I always mm-hmm. you know, I wish I could d done those things, but I guess I had to like 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 um Saturday night is a great boom 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 once you get into it, that's a great song for the car. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
2: Wow,
1: wow You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's like not so much for Like it's it's good for the disco floor if you mix it with something else. I heard people doing remixes, Mm -hmm. fucking awesome. But stand alone is so good because you want to like hear you want to stop and just listen to the 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 crazy story. And I know it seems a little mild in 2019, but 1986 that was a crazy, a crazy story. No question. Um, I'm gonna say one of the best guys are doing that. They're doing great lyrics. And making it a danceable, Chuck Dick. Mm-hmm. it's like political. How the fuck you make a, a political song, a mm-hmm. really hardcore political song, danceable?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? I got so much struggle on my mind.
2: Refuse mm-hmm.
1: to lose. Here's your ticket. <laughs> but you can dance now. I'm dancing now. You get wicked. Boom. Right? That's right. And me, I was just like, Motherfucker, I can straight through the point. You don't dig what I'm saying? Then fuck you. So <laughs> I was a yeah. job that that nigga got. so I can't get the kids in the parking lot? So niggas listen. And it's like, you want to stop and hear what the fuck this crazy motherfucker's saying. Wow. So that, so I, I'm going to say, like, spending so much time in Europe and the UK, kind of like, it, it, it really it really changed. It really influenced my, 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 my beat making style.
0: And it's interesting because despite the instrumentation, there was a lot of kinship, maybe more so because of the subject matter and obviously the anti establishment aspect yeah. between punk and hip hop back then anyway.
1: Yeah. 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 It was like it was it was I remember um we on tour, I think it was somewhere in Germany. And then I remember it was just like, dude, it's just like you got these three blocks. Don't go anywhere up beyond that because the skinheads will kill you. Mm. And, you know, being from Philly, being cool, was like, hmm, it sounds like trouble. Mm. <laughs> it was boring. It's like, it's going to get some trouble. <laughs> so I remember we walked we walked in three, four blocks, and we met some fucking skinheads. And they looked at us, and it was just like, hey. Just nigga squirking his own money.
2: Wow. It was
1: like, yeah. So we wound up hanging out with them for a couple of hours, and people thought these motherfuckers killed us. They were sending motherfuckers out. all Wow. <laughs> Five block radius. And then we can walk it down. The street. It's like, those motherfuckers didn't kill you. This like, nah. And I was like, you put them on the guest list. <laughs> <laughs> so when you see music do that, you know what I'm saying? When you see music do that, and you feel music, do that. And you, to bring all this shit together, it was just like it was um, it was like, how could that not
2: mm-hmm.
1: influence you? And then the back of your mind, how could that not just just be like a, just like those, all those times there were like a tape rolling in my, in, in my subconscious, a tape right. rolling what is And I didn't know it until like, you know, until like I got older.
0: Were you surprised, though, because obviously, as you mentioned before, here in the U.S., it was really written off as a fad, and when you saw that there was that, you know, that, that connection in another country, other culture, you know, uh, 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 thousands of miles away, and they accepted it, I mean, how
1: did you feel about that? Um, I felt was hurt, because it was just like, I was not considered a, I was, you know, from from what people was telling me, it was like I was just not considered a black artist anymore. Hmm. I was like, I what the fuck is you talking about? Fucking drop the album, I'm black for
2: you. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but I'm not considered a black artist anymore. And it was, and I mean, I know like some of the guys at the radio, like man, we would love to play your stuff, but it's like even when there's no cussing, but it just sounds like you, when you say bitch, you sound like you mean it. Wow. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Wow. I kinda do, wow. and they didn't get that. They didn't. I'm a, and I'm gonna tell you, like even in Philly, it's like uh, it's like when people say conservative, they all they automatically go and think about you know some very white and blue, white collar, white dudes, mm-hmm. or, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. from Kentucky. But black people in America are so conservative, so scared of shit, man. Come on. All those spooky movies. This is true. Ooh, my eyes is I was not going in there. It's spooky.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a lot of people were asking me, like, why do you, why do you keep doing it? Why can't? So I remember when I, when I did job, and I was just like, and I was I did this song Mr. Big Dick,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I, and I was like, that's gonna be my single and a video. And they kept. I said, why are you so anti mm. anti? <laughs> they, they did it. I said because this song is gonna be. If we do it right, it's going to be used 30 years from now. And I was right. It right. wound up in a couple right. of movies, Rabbit in the Moon, wound up doing a remix. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They used it for television. But you know what I'm saying? It was like it was like television shows. HBO wound up using it a bunch of times. So the publisher made five times as much as the record sold.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they didn't think I was smart enough to see that. I'm like, but the publisher... They're like, no, 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 don't worry about the publishing. This is to the, all, all the n- niggas and, 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 and black men, brown men, and women. They tell us all that shit. They tell the white guys, you know, say, we got you on publishing. But they tell us, now don't worry about the publishing.
2: Hmm.
1: Why are you worried about publishing? Because I'm worried about my future, nigga.
2: Right,
1: right. <laughs> I'm worried about my future. And my future, the future is in publishing, the hmm. future is in that. People redoing your songs. And I didn't understand, uh, I had a, a, an attorney named Arthur Mann. I didn't understand at that point in 1987 that Cats was going to be sampling me. i
2: mm, mm. I just like, shit, it's
1: a thousand. To sample me a thousand mm-hmm. James Brown records and 40,000 fucking rock and roll records and another 10,000 funk records that I, I deem better than PSK or Saturday, you know, Saturday Night. And, you know, which I said, but it's just like, as, you know, license move, you know, Susie and the Banshee's move. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all of a sudden the gates were open. And I think it's been, you know, that song, it was like, I can't even put up the gold platinum record that people sampled due to Tom or the Beastie Boys' was first. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I was thinking on that point on that point, and they didn't get that. I remember because it was just like, can you stop wearing your $3,000 alligator shoes <laughs> to be eating I was like, well, why? Because you just don't, you don't look like a rapper. It's wow! A, it's like I don't look like a New York rapper. Wow! <laughs> but this is what Philly rappers looks right. like. You know what I'm saying? It's my, but so it, it, was, it, it was it was so it was, it was like I knew I knew I knew I was going to I knew I was going to be here until I died. Right. So some stuff bothered me. Some stuff. Some stuff didn't bother.
0: me. You know, and, and now that I think about it, I, I I'm pretty sure I first heard your music not on urban radio but on college radio. Yeah. In in New York, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh yeah. it was I think it was P Fine out of NYU, W N Y U. Yeah, P Fine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Incredible. Yeah, so yeah, it was and I solidified it more even more when I did the did the um the smokes and Kill and I, when I when I opened up the fishbone. Mm. You know, you on tour? Yeah, where? We got on tour with, like, you know, Hill um, or Run DMC. You mm-hmm. talking with Fishbone. Wow. They looking to make, and they didn't they even understand Fishbone was a black group.
2: Right, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? But I learned so much from Fish. Man, That's incredible. It was amazing.
0: Wow. In, in regard to your creation of... Essentially, a brand new subgenre, gangster rap. At the yeah. time, did you did that register? Did there was it was it a conscious decision? Did you really get what you were doing, or? Oh,
1: well, the first time I wrote it was in Spin when John Leland he wrote it, mm. and he was in it was in Baltimore, and he was um he was following around these gangs called the Yo Boys uh-huh. in Baltimore, and just all they was playing was P S P- K Gucci Gang. I spent a lot of time in Baltimore too, lots of. Shows in Baltimore, like lots of like shows that went on at 3:45 a.m. So like sort of like New York, you know, you know, what I'm saying doing a show at like 3:30 in New York was just like you know what I mean. That was that was the, that was average. Mm-hmm. What time you go on 1:45? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was down there. He didn't understand. So he said all all over the city they were playing. I had a, I had a lot of friends and at, at radio down there. They played that shit, man. They wore they wore PSK and Gucci Tom out. And he came back, so he and then this is his story. So he asked a couple cats around his office at Spin, and he said, "Oh, that's Schooly D," and he just put it together and said, "Oh shit, gangsters and gangs and Schooly D." And he said, "This must be gangster rap." Wow. And but I mean, I'm gonna say right here, people confuse gangster rap with gangster rap. Like N.W.A. is gangster rap with an Mm -hmm. A, Mm -hmm. and that's the celebration of gang life.
2: Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Gangster rap is a celebration of the individual.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
1: You know, like anybody can do shit, gangster. Your mom is gangster. As a, as a single woman's raising five kids by herself, and they all grow up, you know, they're not incarcerated and shit like that. That's gangster.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> if you go to, if you're the worst motherfucker on the planet, and you go to church, and the preacher makes you see Jesus, that's gangster.
2: Mm.
1: You know what I'm saying? And I celebrate the gangster life. Right. Like you know, what I did as a kid, twenty-one year old, to to create a subgenre and to stick my stick by my guns and to mm-hmm. say no, no, this is I'm going to tell our story for real. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it, like I said before, the, I'm keeping it real. Right. Movement of the the '90s, I was keeping it real. So I'm going to keep my shit real, but also I'm going to use my fantasies. Also, yeah, I can I can I can be in a cartoon. He can be a cartoon character. You know, what I'm saying he he, he can kill Whitey. And he, and, he, and he can marry their daughter. <laughs> <laughs> what was... make, a bunch of swir- make a bunch of swirly babies and shit.
0: <laughs> what I always found fascinating about your art, uh, uh, your visual art, not not necessarily the audio art, was, you know, as a as a Puerto Rican kid in the Bronx, I was around a lot of numbers, you know, like street numbers. Right. and And it always reminded me, your art always reminded me of the art that would appear, the line art that would appear on the numbers tip sheets that my grandma would yeah. buy. It, they, were you aware of those, or was it just, was that just street art? Well...
1: It was just street art. Right. It was like, I was, was we it the five-two crew, I was the one, I was doing like all the flyers. Um, and I had this business, I would go around to biz, business owners mm. in the neighborhoods and just say, look, man, if you want people to stop fighting graffiti on your, on your business, let me do some art on there, and they stopped. Wow. And I fucking, I painted myself out of business. Wow. Because <laughs> motherfuckers just stopped doing graffiti over my heart. Uh-huh. Then I had this other thing where I was making, uh, it was like a lot of pregnant girls in the neighborhood. So I was, I was making, I was like making pregnant t-shirts with the kids, you know what I'm saying? For like bubble shirts and shit like that. Wow. And it was like And then I make the shirt with the kid on. So, you know, so I was, I was well aware of like, you know, um, the, it was like but it was like the graffiti that was coming out of New York
2: mm-hmm.
1: and all the stuff that I was listening to, like um like all the album covers I was I was amazed at all the Santana album covers
2: mm-hmm. and
1: all the stuff that was on Westbound
2: mm-hmm.
1: or uh um or for the Funkadelic. I studied mm-hmm. that shit, man. You know what I'm saying? I studied those tests. So all when you look at it, it's it's all of it. It's rock and roll. Right. And it's, it's 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 New York bubble graffiti art and 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 Funkadelic. indeed
0: and obviously I was gonna say maybe that also kind of adds to that kinship with punk because it was so DIY it was so just do-it-yourself make it happen without any extra resources
1: yeah because nobody dude nobody believed like punk and, and I'm gonna say like the heart is like punk I'm gonna say prince punk and and rap nobody believed it Mm-hmm. Like all the stuff like, like like new wave and stuff like that, like stuff like where, where James is doing, mm-hmm. um, that could that was that was viable. You could you could actually he can make a record he can he can make a record about uh, smoking crack and and kidnapping bitches and somehow people like don't hear it and they play it on the radio. Mm. <laughs> you know what you know yeah, what I'm saying? But right, with, right. with, with, with Prince, punk rock and rap, it was just like we our first. Like, because Rick James and those guys, they wouldn't they couldn't survive without the radio. Mm-hmm. We had to be true to our art from the top to the bottom.
2: That
1: mm-hmm. was conscious and unconscious at the same time. It, was like we, right. it wasn't like we could do anything else because we couldn't do it. We had to be ourselves, but right. we knew consciously we had to be ourselves.
2: Right.
1: So it was like, so it was, it was a conscious decision to be like that because it's like, because when we influenced each other that way. Indeed. So
0: after all the success with the singles, and then obviously uh, eventually with Saturday Night, the album, what led you to to sign with a big label? After that, I remember buying your records and seeing the Jive emblem on them.
1: Well, well, it was like you know what, Jive was signing everybody up, and all the distributors they stopped paying me because it's like I tried to convince them I'm not going to sign because I never want to sign. It's like no, I'm independent. It was like you know what, and then I just signed Jazzy Jeff. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, well, they just signed you after job. We know you're next. And job was, job, was, job was saying, like, yeah, we're going to school." They was calling me, and I was just like, "Man, mm, please. You know what I'm saying? I was like, nah, I ain't feeling y'all. But, you know, Chris, or well, part of the time was, like, was like, dude, we got to start paying people. We've got, like, 13 employees,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we're going to be done with the money in a few months. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So i pretty I had to, you know, we. I just was talking to Chris last night about it. It's like, yeah, dude, I was just like, I, you know, that's the only reason why I did it. And, and it's funny because once I did it, the distributors paid me the money. So mm. I, was just, I was like, you motherfuckers. Wow. And I took that check back of the job. I was like, well, I don't want this. I, I don't feel like they gave me some more money. Wow. And you know what I'm saying? And I, like then I think the next five years, I just, I was lost. I was like myself, but not myself because I had to feed twenty people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like it was like I had through I had people. You know what I mean? It was just like it, it became that machine. Right? It became that machine. And, and, and somehow I got you know uh, I'm I black enough for you out of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I did that shit, mm-hmm. but somehow I got that record out of that. And that's you know when I met Abel, and Abel was just like, dude, I'm looking at you right now. They ain't never gonna play your shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to come with me and make music for movies. Right. And so we went down, and he was like, let me explain it to you like this, budget wise. He showed mm-hmm. me the budget of a, a small movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and it was just like, like us say is was a, a, a big record back then, they might have spent a couple hundred thousand. A small movie, you would spend it like 12, 12 million. hmm. And it's like you told me and you get two percent of each that 2 so percent starting off, you get two percent. The film composer gets starts off with two percent from twenty million. you know what I'm saying? So right. it's like you say that shit off of yourself and the interest wanna say and it's all it's on movies and it's easy and it's TV, and it's on the i C. I gonna play whatever. It's just ABC and HBO and Showtime. I was like, all right, I'm with you, homie. Wow. And, and and that's when that's when NWA blew up. Right. I was just like I'm out. Right.
0: So so going back to the to the film the film thing when Abel Ferreira reached out was was your first
1: project no, with him I, keeping I, I new up? up. I, I hung. Uh, yeah, it was the first project, but I hung up on him.
2: Huh?
1: <laughs> I was just like going through it. I just was like, I was not a fan with fan of the white man at that moment. That was white. He was like, yeah. <laughs> so he <laughs> my, was a fan. Is homie, that why he reached my out? My homie Tone. Yeah, somebody, somebody. It was like he was filming, and he was like, man, I need, I need something hard. I need something hard. People kept giving him stuff, and it's funny because my roadie on the Saturday Night Tour. Um, in in the UK was his assistant.
2: Mm. <laughs> and he was
1: like, hey, he him, the fuck you have been listening to all this time? Say like, Schoolie D, you never heard of him? They put it in. So he just started playing it with the scenes in the dailies and he's just like, Oh, yeah, we gonna get this cat. Wow. So what made you and
0: finally delve into that that world?
1: Once I was I went to New York.
2: Oh. He sent
1: he sent he sent, sent limo for me and it's like I said it was like Back in the day, like now, limos and hip hop, this like you know, it's just, this is the norm. But back then, somebody sent a limo for, from New York, and you go up and watch a special screening, and you're sitting there with like you know, Wesley Snipes and Christopher Walken. Mm. That means something, mm-hmm. and they treat and they treat you with respect like an equal. That means something, right? You know what I mean? And you're sitting there, and it blew me away. And he's like, "You're a film composer," and I was. I was, I wanted to be a film composer when I was a kid. I used to sit and watch those movies with my mother on, you know, six, cinema six on Sundays and mm-hmm. shit, you know, and, you know, I remember turning the sound down, adding my own music, my own flavor to what I think the music should be. So that was like, I wanted to do that, but I just, I didn't know what, um, what the, it was like, I didn't know the idea. I didn't know what the film composer's job was. Mm. And, um, it blew me the fuck away. Wow. And he was like, I'm gonna give you said, I'm gonna give you an NYU education. And boom, it just started. And I was just like shit, I was in the south of France right after that. Wow. <laughs> and I was just like and code and everybody was like, Dickie, where the fuck you been <laughs> for the last eight months. I was in San Francisco, I was in Venice, I was in London.
2: Wow
1: <laughs> I was you know what I'm saying I was I was fucking in Chelsea <laughs> I've just been hanging out. Because it take that, it was Abel, he starts his movies just like you could be, you could just be listening to shit for a year before he starts shooting. He, wants, he, wants, he wanted me to create music for a year, you know what I'm right, saying? Right. So, so I know, um,
0: obviously, in some instances, you have music that was licensed, and, and then clearly, for some of that, you actually compose music for the films. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit yeah. about the process, your process for composing for film, working on that score?
1: Well, I was, like, I was working under um, Joe D'Elia. Mm-hmm. The process was, like, it was, um, it was, it was, uh, it was, like, it was great when I could, like, I could just, like, read the script that came, like, came up with the music, opposed to, like, some, some people, some, I wasn't at my best when, like, some, some composers sit there, they want to see the film, They want to you know, they want to score the film, and, like, I want to score to um, the script. hmm so that was that was hard and, and in the beginning. That took that took a couple of years to to, to do. Um, and and and, and Abel, Abel figured it out. Like, he came in one day, and I was in there on the and I was having a, a hard time. He was just like, how can this shit sound different from the other shit you just did in Philly and brought up to me? Like, when I would come to New York and sit in the studio score, it's like, because it was just like I felt free. The freer I am, mm. the better I create. Uh, uh, but all only... These- Job to do if somebody came and gave me like $150,000. Like, you know, something to do songs. So what's the word got out? Like, I gotta get, like God, I'm trying to like, get that. I get from these Hollywood guys so just like job you with know, $150,000. Give me a theme song. I was just doing it. Mm. Part of it all, working with Able, something that was going to be have my name one and I was making a career out of it. It was like a little different. I, was like, I had to feel, I had to have the freedom to feel that the first movie I took the reins to score was, um, uh, blackout mm-hmm. and it was throwing Dennis Hopper, Matthew Modine, beaches, doll, um, uh, Lily Taylor. And that was down in Miami. So we get there. I get there and able wants me to score on set and, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, so I was like, I was actually, I was, I was acting. They wrote a part in for me, and I want. And he wanted me to score as as the movie was going. Like so, so, like most most times, you like you get the film or you get the script, Um, and you score from that. This he changed everything. He wanted me to score the film as the film as he was filming. Mm -hmm. So at the end of at the end of that, get dailies, and. He wanted, he wanted me to score, like, right then and there. Sometimes he wanted me to score. Um, because the, the music and the theme was around, it was, it was sitting around a bar and a disco, and he wanted, like, and then everybody, everybody wanted their own theme song.
2: Like,
1: Lily Taylor wanted to, Jim's Hopper wanted his theme song, Beauty Style wanted his theme song. Everybody <laughs> wanted their own theme song. What the
2: fuck is up, fuck? You know? So, so
1: it was like, so what are y'all to do this shit now? <laughs> Can you do it now? <laughs> so that was just like, but you gotta get, that was like, I guess it was like five years into into like working with Abel. So it was mm. just like, okay, now just just like, just throw them to the fucking, you know, just throw them to the deep end wow. with the sharks. And it was like, it was, it was a cool concept. We're both two cancers and, you know, we're both trying to get what we want out of, out of shit and out of people unconventionally. Like most people just go straight forward. We, we tend to go from side to side and around. So I guess he was just thinking it was just like, you know what, you know, you, you've been hanging out, you read the script and just mm-hmm. go for it. Cause you're not, you're not, you're not going to be a conventional um, film composer. So he I to just like use your style right now. And um, at first it was just like, um, I didn't get it. It was okay. But then I started I talked to Joe who was the, the previous um, film composer. And it's like no, I usually just get to shit I go home. And I get to sit with it for a month or two.
2: <laughs>
1: and once I did, the thing is, once I did one 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 thing so, then everybody was like, "Can you can you write something for me when I step out?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> uh, but I mean, I did it. Right. I mean, I, I did it. That and luckily, I'm I'm always writing music. I'm always writing music. So i always like so. And I have my my keyboards. Um and back then you had like the small floppy discs and shit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The three by fives. I had like all the music on that, so i just so this was sat in the back and said, You know what? I'm just gonna go through the go through some of the stuff that I have and everybody just pick a fucking beat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I'll put the keyboards and stuff over it, And that's and that's how we did it. Wow. And that's exactly how we did it. It was um like Dennis Hopper, man, that motherfucker is like amazing cause he's just like laughing, joking, 'cause he think he's in He's, he's on point. He goes straight in the character. I'm I'm talking about less than a second. Mm. He's, you know, he's eating a slice of cake and, and it just goes straight in the character. I learned a lot on that film. I learned a whole fucking lot. I learned a lot on that movie. It was fun. fun. Wow.
0: And and then obviously, I mean, from, from there you've done a bunch of things. However, I would say that the Aqua Hunger Force seemed like it was different from everything else that you had done up until that point. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and the different roles that you played, not only in doing voiceover, but also, obviously, in the intro music? I mean, all these
1: things that I'm doing and I get to do, it's something I've thought about since I was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. You know, I've fired, if you know my um, history, I fired my first band when I was 9. <laughs> it was just like a... <laughs> You know, they didn't, they wasn't practicing hard enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like, these are things that, I mean, talking about, and I just thought, I thought everybody had that laser,
2: mm-hmm. you know what
1: I'm saying? And so everybody knew what they wanted to be, because cause that's what they said when we were kids, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you better figure out what the fuck you want to be when you grow up. So mm-hmm. I spent my childhood thinking about what I wanted to be and do when I grew up, and you know, it was like... So when Aqua is my Scooby-Doo song, I said, mm-hmm. you know, I love fucking Scooby-Doo. I love Hong Kong food. I love mm-hmm. the fact that the people wrote those fucking songs, and people sang them. And I was, you know, I was like, you know, when I grow up, I'm gonna write that. So when I got the opportunity to do that, I was kind of like, re- I was ready. Mm-hmm. But the fact that when they came to town, I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All I had was the bass line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doot, do, do, do. And they came to town, man. We fucking party the fuck up.
2: <laughs> and
1: they came to town on Thursday. Um, we did Friday, Saturday, get fucked up, just drinking and fucking strip bars and everything. And Sunday night we drop them off. And they are like, "Cool, we didn't hear the theme song, but when can we pick it up?" Some motherfuckers came to town, let's just see this shit on Thursday.
2: <laughs>
1: no. So I call. Um, I call my man Eric, and we went down to the studio and we just, and they, and they said, well, we want to come too. And they came down. I, remember, I wrote that shit right on the spot. Wow. Right on the spot. I was just like, so we went, so we went over the script, was reading it and, you know, and, and sometimes when I get into a spot, I just think about like all those songs are obviously all my songs that I write about aren't about me. They're about people I know and mm-hmm. me. And so I basically just use, um, my brothers as characters, mm. um, for, for, uh, for Fry and one hot I just thought about my three brothers. <laughs> and, um, that, so then they were just say, well, why don't you, um, why don't you like to help us out with a couple of things? Because the guy's from, from, from Jersey. We're obviously living in Atlanta. Um, well, what would he say here? What would he say there? Was saying, well, and then they were just saying, well, why don't you, like, why don't you, why don't you narrate? Why don't you be a character? Why don't you narrate? And, um, the first couple of things I did, I made my voice all cartoonish. Mm. And we kept fighting back and forth. And we did it, we did that for like three or four weeks. And I was like, so what the fuck do you want? So we just want your regular voice. I said again, why'd you fucking say that in the <laughs> fucking beginners? And we, so then once I started that, it was just like, it was, it was, um, I'm surprised that when somebody does something shitty, I'm not too surprised when good shit. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that happens for me. What's mm-hmm. a good one thing? because that's that's how I, that's how I think my life is supposed to go. I'm doing mm-hmm. things that okay. These are things that I'm supposed to be doing. It's like when somebody like steals from me. That's the shit. I know I know people with thieves and shit like that. But that's the stuff that surprises me. Mm-hmm. It's just like, huh? Why well, would you do that? But the good, like you know how people are so surprised when something good happens to them, mm-hmm. like or, or 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 they hire people. So it's, it's, that's the thing. People hire people. People have agents and managers and, and publicists, and, and it was just me. You understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's that's the difference. It was like people hire people to do that shit for them. Like these are my dreams, or people come to them and say, "Well, okay, well you're a rapper, and you're and so these are these are the ten opportunities. Like when Hammer was got a cartoon. It was, I, don't, I don't know if it was, he was thinking about a cartoon. it was Just like it was an opportunity because mm-hmm. it's Hammer. You you dig what I'm saying? Okay, now that you're hammer, or now that you're you're this guy, um, these are the new opportunities. For me, it was like, oh, these are the things that I wanted to do anyway. These are all the things I want to do. And when I was talking about doing them, even now, the people say, like, you can't can't do that. (laughs) I don't even know why people tell me I can't do shit anymore. (laughs) I really fucking don't. I don't fucking get it. I was like, well, why not? Because you need an agent. It's like, it's, I mean, if you look at my whole my career, it's just like the only kind of only kind of um, the only guy that who helped manage me was Chris Schwartz, mm-hmm. just because you know, you know, he was fucked out <laughs> all the goddamn time. But he had a, he had a certain. My mom liked him. My mm-hmm. mom fucking loved that guy. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, he had a certain something about him. The way he talked to me, like you know how you know, like I know you want to do this, but. And you're gonna do it, but this is the bridge to get over to that, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. we would have those conversations. It was, it wasn't, was I was more likely to say no. He was more likely to say, yeah, this is, but this is, he would, he would remind me, like, this is This is part of your dream. This is what you said you wanted to do. That's awesome. So, so that's, so, yeah, so that's, and, and, you know, and for, for that show to be on for so long, the Aqua team, it's a, mm-hmm. it was, it was amazing. I don't know how, for, how long, 14, we did 14 seasons, so that's probably about, what, 12 years or mm-hmm. those seasons, like, seasons are weird today. Right,
0: right, people exactly.
1: stay there Because people have, like, 48 seasons, but it can't, they got like they come on three times a year. Right, So it's right. like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. try to do their bullshit.
2: Right. But
1: I know we started out ten in 2002, something like that, 2034, wow. and we just ended about, what, two years ago, mm-hmm. three years, four years ago? So, um so that was pretty fucking cool.
0: How did that initially come about? Were they were they initially I fans
1: doing, of
2: Schoolie?
1: They were definitely fans of Schoolie and they had a show called Rudy and Go Go Show. Hmm. And one of the producers and the writers so they couldn't name the Schoolie D, so he used my government name, Jesse B.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um then they did, they called me up and they asked me to do um to they were getting they would get an artist to redo children's a children's album. Hmm. And I chose this old man and I think the Roots did it. A couple guys did it. Like, you know, I didn't, you know, told them I didn't want any money, but, you know, everything was cool. Mm-hmm. And then Space Ghost is a, is a huge fan. So mm-hmm. me and Weird Al Yankovic did the first, um, the first episode
2: wow.
1: of that. And I didn't want a lot of money. They said, well, we have to pay you something. I said, well, what do you really want? I said, I really want to do like a Scooby-Doo song.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And about a year later, you know, they called me up with the and said, so, Well, here's, you know, here's your, here's your Scooby-Doo song. And that's how I got involved with that. And it's, um, it's, I don't know, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's it's, when people ask me, like, how do you get, how do you get these things? It's like, you know what? I get these things because, you know, I do the work and I ask the universe, you know, I bitch and moan. (laughs) Somebody up there likes me, but you shut this motherfucker up. (laughs) My angels, my guardian angels first over, over time. They probably take their shifts. Wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's, I mean, how else could you explain it? But the right. thing is, I do the work. I take a couple of years and right. do pick, pick, whatever I'm doing. I stop and take a couple of years off and just like figure out like, what, what are you going to be doing for the next seven or 10 years? What, what's next on the list? So all of these, so what I'm saying is like, these things are are opportunities, but these are things that I expect to do. Right, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying. Whether I was, well, of course, I mean, I got famous from you know helping create the subgenre of music. But mm-hmm. what I'm just saying, is that those are things I wanted to do anyway. Right, right. If you, if you get me, yeah. Indeed, indeed.
0: And and yeah. what's what's interesting about that, you know, having obviously been very familiar with with you and your career from the beginning, pretty much. And knowing your perspective, knowing the fact that you are indeed the creator of a subgenre of hip-hop that eventually proliferated the entire genre, for the most part, in the beginning of the 90s to almost today. However, yeah. in the conversation, you know, in the conversation of pop oh. culture, I don't see, and this is, feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong, I don't really see oh. the accolades that Schooly D deserves in the big picture of things. I hear a lot of the same names that we're all familiar with that deserve a lot of attention and recognition. Right. But for some reason, I don't think that you get that recognition uh, by pop culture as a whole. Any any thoughts on that at
1: all? Well, it's... it's um, I mean, I kind of figured it out early on when they tried to put me on daytime television. Hmm. <laughs> it was just like it just wasn't... I kind of figured, also kind of figured it out when I was, when I, you know, um, wasn't sitting in because at, at a certain point around like late eighties, I'm about 89, 90, where it's like, you had to like have a bunch of videos and you had to be on the radio.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All of a sudden it changed the under, there was no more, because everybody was signed at that mm-hmm. point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Everybody was signed. So there was no more underground market. There was no people, Bands and people didn't really respect the underground market. Mm-hmm. They expected you to be on the radio. They expected you to have like, a video. They expected you to be on BET. They, and, the, and the thing is, like when I was doing those things, when I would show up, I want to do Gucci Time, I want to do PSK, or Saturday Night, or Smoke Some Community. It was just like, wait, we can't. Continue. Do you have another song on your album that you can sing other than those? Hmm. What? are you fucking with me? Have you heard of N.W.A.? <laughs> the ice T, and the Ghetto Boys? But they always said the same thing. But it's just something about you that just you just you just look angrier. You just look you just look more believable. I'm like, hmm. And I mean, and it's kind of funny because I um, I just did a television spot
2: mm-hmm. the other
1: day Friday. I did a performance on television, and um, and the only word I was allowed to King, and the only word I was allowed to say was "horror." It was Daytime Television and the and the uh, producers and the directors, and the and the host, they all know me and they all you know know my music and it was just kinda of like so we went through the sound check and the only only thing that I said I could can say you can say anything you want before. Um and another thing is just I didn't play the game because I didn't it was too important to me to use as a game. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was like so I didn't play, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how, like I said, it was, um, it was good for me. That I was a little ignorant. I didn't know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to pick anybody's ass because you came from like from Philadelphia where everything is tight and, you know, comes straight from like, you only trust people from whatever neighborhood you grew up in, whether it was like, you know, the bottom or the hilltop or 50 second, of park side or the moon gang. You understand what I'm saying? So we mm-hmm. really trust trusting people outside of that. It took. It took, it took, it took, it took more than a few years. It took like 10 years to trust anybody, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of just like, listen, so somebody talking about playing a game, it was like playing a game, ladies my fucking life. This is my mm-hmm. career. What the fuck, I ain't playing no goddamn game. And the times that I did play, I didn't fucking like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, just, and I didn't, I didn't have, um, I mean, there were times when I had publicists or, you know, or, or agent, that was kind of just like local, keep, you know, keep myself busy. But I didn't, it, it was like, um, you know, even with Abel, Abel looked for me for like a year mm. for King of New York. And it was like to a lot of people, I was like a ghost. Mm-hmm. My 8x10, my 8x10 was a hand drawn picture. My,
2: mm. You know, I <laughs> hand drew it.
1: <laughs> and I, and I seen people looking at me, just like, oh, do you really want to fucking press this and this shit out? Like, yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> wow. I was like, all right. I just think it was, it was just like, I just, I thought that if, it's like, if, if, if all rap artists become pop artists, mm-hmm. it's like, that's not, it's not going to be a good thing. So, right. I mean, I gave up, I gave up a lot of that. And, 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 and as you know, the people in front, I mean, I, I, I mean, there are times when it was like, it was like ECE and like mm-hmm. key and those guys, they were screaming it. They, what the fuck they want to hear it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like they did not want to hear Jesus' hair was curly,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Motherfuckers don't want to hear that shit. They want to hear like, well, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. But those goddamn shows on TV. So sooner or later, you know, motherfuckers just stop stop saying my name mm. for you know a good 10, to 10 years. But I mean, but people always, I mean, I would get nods all over the place. Biggie, we mm-hmm. did PTA. It's like, basically, like everybody. It was like I was getting samples from from gospel groups. Mm. So people knew, mm-hmm. and, and I start, started to describe myself as a as a character actor.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so in the character, my, my acting was my music, which which wound up in a lot of you know platinum, golden platinum records. I mean, from Aphrodite to the Chemical Brothers. I mean, think about it. It's mm-hmm. like my, my music was used like all across the board. And I really started thinking, like like well, it's like um, because I produced my own music. Well, my music and the way it sounds is just as unique as my lyrics mm-hmm. and my vocals. Indeed. Yeah, so everybody, like everybody knew School of the Beat. Like everybody knew what School They the Beat it was. They, they, they just say, you can't read, you know. So on that part, people knew mm-hmm. what if somebody sampled Goosey Town. They knew sure. where it came from. Sure. They knew this TSK or Saturday Night was Smoke. They knew where that music came from. But on the other end, they didn't know where the style mm. that they're using came from, which is weird.
0: There's some artists that are artists, artists, you know, so you were saying people, you know, people in the know knew. I consider you to be one of those artists that has influenced some of the biggest, you know, most famous artists An artist, artists. And it's an interesting phenomenon to see some of the greatest in the genre. And I'm sure this is true of a lot of genres, well, be those folks that aren't necessarily known by you know the masses but well, the masses favorite artists know them
1: yeah yes and um um I'm not i'm not i'm not saying that i I, I feel like I, I didn't feel like I i don't done sell it for anything but I knew um I know what I know the beast that America is. And I know how, like, one, okay, let's pick um, Am I Black Enough for You, Mm -hmm. that song and that album, but just Mm -hmm. just that song. That song, when Billy Paul did it, you know, it almost killed his career, but he wanted to do that song. Mm. But when I did it, it helped my career. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because he did it right after me and Mrs. Jones, but he wanted to, you know what I'm saying? He sold 80 million copies of Mrs. Jones, and he put out Am I Black Enough for You, you know, no white people in the world want to hear some nigga talk about how black he is. Mm. Um but you know, saying so but it inspired me to do it and they they made a film about it mm-hmm. and I finally got to meet him and and he was he was talking about it. He was just like, Man, I heard there was like it was it was like um he said it was like you kinda of like a ghost but I I I, I knew you were from Philly mm-hmm. and I heard it and I know the song, and people were telling me, I know, I watched it in King of New York over and over again, and said, I love what you did with it. And But it was kind of like, nobody knew after me and Mrs. Jones. Nobody, it's like, this This motherfucker was a badass motherfucker. He inspired so many groups from Philly, and he wrote his own music, too. Mm-hmm. And so many groups around the world. It's like, right after me and Mrs. Jones, nobody even knew or heard of him. Mm. Um, and and here's some, some, some kid from West Philly, you know, from some town takes his music. He doesn't even know. And, and you do, you do it for one of the, one of the greatest modern, uh, gangster music mm-hmm. movies of all time.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know what I'm saying? So I, I've been on both sides of that. So I, I right. you know, I, I feel, I feel the honor and I feel the pain, which, and you're right. It's a little, it's, it is a little weird, but that, that's, that's, that's kind of like how it goes. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, Robert Johnson. You know what I'm saying? No question about uh, it's that. It's like, it's like you know what I mean? And, it, and it's just like, um, uh, as growing up, I always wanted to, I always wanted to look like and behave like one of those old blues guys, man, mm. because it's like, they seem to get the most respect. Like, you can be, you can be a little quirky and be a blues guy mm. and people will let you get away with it.
2: Right. You know what
1: I'm saying? That's the shit, that's the shit I, I liked. I was like, okay, I can still keep my, because the second you become a rap star. You understand what I'm saying? Or a rapper,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all of a sudden you just you just you just put in a corner and you gotta behave exactly the way that is. And that's and that's part of like why I stopped wearing gold chains and shit like that. Mm. First, you know, they just they hurt my neck. But I'm just saying it was just like <laughs> I was just I, I didn't want to be it felt it was fun. Walking through like, ended up like 85, walking through the fucking airport, getting on fucking first class and big ass chain swing. What's up, motherfucker? fucking fuck bitch. Give me a fuck. Goddamn right, I want some champagne, nigga. What? <laughs> 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 Yo, black, kid, and that fucking black, like can have fuck power? Hell, all the white people fucking like plugging <laughs> your, your cheese off and shit. <laughs> that shit felt good. Wow. It felt good for a while, but it was like, you know what? That's not you, though, girl yo. That's not uh, you're an artist. Right. That shit felt good. It's like, it, yeah, it, it, that's just being, that's part of my human side, not mm-hmm. my alien side. And your human side, you don't fucking like all that shit, but it was like, you can't, It was no way. That shit, man, that shit is, that shit being like that is, man, that shit is tiresome as my mom's. That shit, man, that shit, they take up all your energy. You can't mm-hmm. do nothing but that. And that, when you can't do it anymore, will kill you. Right.
0: Another person I've actually had the, the pleasure to, to sit in and speak with at length that I could draw a lot of parallels to. I'm wondering if you see any connections, and I, and I would say not only from the artistry part, but also from the 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 multi talent. So, in other words, not just being an artist, but also in, in your case, being a painter. A poet, an actor, uh, is is Rudy Ray Moore. Do, do you see those connections? Yeah. He was also an entrepreneur. He also made his own movies.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I thought you were gonna say as a case. Ah, because <laughs> when I'm um when I'm pretending, when I'm when I'm not pretending when I'm playing keyboards, I close my eyes pretend, and I'm as a case.
2: Ah, <laughs> and it gets me through.
1: But for Rudy Ray, yes, Rudy Ray Moore, yeah, I I, I got you. And it, it was like he was, um, he was, and it was this Rudy Ray Moore was just like, he, he always looked like he was like 68, even when yeah, <laughs> he was <right>? like 34, <laughs> like when we were <really> growing up. <laughs> so it, it, was like, it was like, it was like old and young
2: right.
1: loved Rudy Ray Moore, old and young. Indeed. And he was a nasty motherfucker too, yeah, man. but it, was, yeah. it, it And it's kind of like, He was so so. It was kind of like I I took from that. That's like I took from Richard Pryor. That's like I took from Moms Maiden, because those people, they got the. I heard them on the radio. Mm -hmm. I seen them on television, and they were unfiltered. Mm
2: -hmm. True.
1: You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I think I think once Richard Pryor, right right after Richard Pryor, they started to filter on us because they were all because of with surprise cocaine use, open cocaine use. Mm. Me growing up looking like that, why I didn't know anything and it and, and seemed like Rudy Ray more. He's I felt like he he's he's a kindred soul, kindred artist soul mm-hmm. because that's the way he comes off. He's like he's surprised that he, somebody wants to filter him or mm-hmm. edit him. Right
0: surprised. right. Surprised,
1: Like what what? I'm Rudy Ray Moore. And he and and he and um I've seen some interviews of him and just like he, he loved the Chitlin Circle circuit because it's like nobody some of the interviews i seen, like nobody wanted to, he didn't get filtered. Moms mainly didn't get filtered. She was on TV a lot. But mm-hmm. Man, he, I heard, man, you he on YouTube, like, guess some of my amazing rap songs.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And
1: it was like, it's so how, for, you know what I'm saying? A young, impressionable mind, you can't, all of a sudden, and I refused it, you can't all of a sudden become 18, and, and then you forgot, you gotta forget, Everything from eighteen, nineteen, to twenty—you got to forget everything and start all over. The world. Wait, what? I got to forget all that good shit. That was no. the good shit. That was, and it was grown—it wasn't kids doing this shit. It was grown people. I could see if it was like we were watching, like moms maybe those guys was like sixteen to seventeen. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. But they were grown motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute—it was like I, I didn't—I wasn't watching kids. I was watching grown-ups. And they were on the radio, and they were not on TV, and they did have albums, mm-hmm. and they did rap, and they did sing. So, so why can't I do it? Mm-hmm. Why can't I do exactly what my heroes did? Right. And that's and that, and that's another reason why you it's, it's like I didn't I didn't compromise, and it's compromising, and it's compromising. You know what I'm saying?
2: Indeed.
1: I think that, I think I think the best. I think suck He's so scary. It, it, it was just like, but I think uh, he didn't compromise at all, but I, I think they, they moved, they switched over to him. And, they, and, they, and since he had Flav, I think Flav, he was he was the comedic, comedic release mm-hmm. of that, if this was just Chuck. Yin Yang. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, he wouldn't He have, his videos would have been way too fucking hard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Way too, like, oh my God, we cannot play this motherfucker. Dangerous. But he had Flav, I didn't, I didn't have a slave. Mm. I'm not saying I don't. I don't blame anything, but I didn't. I had a slave. Right. Those songs would have, you know, so even with Cypress Hill. Don't,
2: just kill it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, was, it was
1: like the, it was like the comedy release. Right. Right. You know, like, it, 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 you know. what I'm saying? It was just my shit. Was just kind of like straight.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like there was straight man all the way through. Even though I think some of those stories is pretty funny. Right.
0: Yeah. No. For sure. No question about that. I mean, there was a, there was a light side to your
1: approach right yeah yes it was but um i mean i thought i was funny right
2: <laughs> <laughs> as they say i thought i was funny
1: i should take the handcuffs up handcuffs off, hand <laughs> off you in jail to get me a nigga i thought it was funny <laughs> So, so, so talk
0: talk to me about your thoughts on the proliferation of of gangster rap and hip hop. I mean, I think that, and I've been I've been a critic throughout the years of not of there not being enough balance. And some folks kind of yeah. take that as uh, uh, as not appreciating the harder yeah. edge stuff. And I love the you know you. I love the originator of that style of rap, you know, someone that came a little bit later, someone like a cool G rap, obviously, you know, all the way to NWA, but it seems like we got to a point where people bought into that and it become one dimension, one dimensional.
1: Yeah. I said the same thing. I was just like, man, y'all putting yourself into a corner Mm. where y'all can't even smile. And now the other, and then, you know, even today, especially what's going on out in Detroit and everything with this rap, Mm -hmm. they, 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 they're not, it's got down to the point where it's like our artists aren't special anymore. We just got to, cause we said it over and over again. I'm just a nigga selling dope. I'm just a nigga selling dope. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, you're not special.
2: Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm.
1: Fuck up there. nigga. Die. Mm-hmm. Die like the rest of us. And we, and the machismo of the, of the, the, the brown and black, black boys. It's like, it's, it's critical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I watched it just like you watched. i was just like, what the fuck is y'all doing? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, yeah, I love this shit, but it's just like, dude, I didn't mind that. I loved it that heavy Heavy D was played from like 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, and then they played School of D and Public Enemies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, from 10 on, that was bad. that. That showed the balance. It showed our contemporaries, that showed our children. it showed showed us that we we were Mm well-rounded. When all of a sudden, everything was just one way. And the fact that it became... See, back in the day, the drug dealers used to support the artists. Then once it became one way, the drug dealers became the artists. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But you had like a... You had in the gang, but... And it was like, it was instead of um, a cat that maybe was in the gang, but he was just like... he broke out and he told the stories of the gangs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna tell our stories. You know, so now it's like you have to stay in the gang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is that like they don't, they don't. That grip doesn't. It just, it's a hard grip. So and it's just like and it's like it's a. They aren't artists. I don't think they're not artists. It's just like some motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. You know, talking some bullshit. Right. <laughs> to right. me, you're like talking some bullshit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not really change. it's not really changing anything. And it's like, money ain't changed shit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Police still killing us and we still got gangs and we still living in the conditions. So how the fuck is, how the hell money change? How money, how the fuck is money gonna help? Money ain't helping no, no black people, brown people. Money ain't helping the shit. You gotta have, you gotta have some thought with the money. You gotta have some thought, you gotta have some, so even if you, you gotta come up with your, your own morals with that fucking money, that's what you do. You know what I'm saying? It's like you gotta teach that with the money. You Just can't say you just give to get the money because we kids. You know what I'm saying? you give you give a fucking twenty one year old mm-hmm. ten million dollars, he's gonna buy some guns and some cocaine, mm-hmm. some weed. Mm-hmm. Just but but just like any fucking, you, no matter what color you are, you know think you know the little uh, rich kids? They doing fucking meth. Mm-hmm. Doing the same shit. They doing oxy. You gave them a million dollars. What the fuck they did? They fucking up the money. You think you give any kid that young? But then you give, then you tell him that he has to rap about it and become a rap star. He ain't got no thought. He ain't lived. These motherfuckers ain't lived shit. Mm-hmm. We, the originators, we lived something to, to come up with that. Now if they came up with a whole new style of music, whole new culture, then I, then, then 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 you know they thinking. We had to think about that shit. Had to be thought about. You know what I'm saying? We had to think about that shit for years
2: mm-hmm.
1: to do that shit so naturally. So I mean, I'm I'm with you. I think it's, it's like it's way too just one sided. It's way too fucking one sided, and it's too and it's too damn easy. It's right. too fucking easy. Right. It's too fucking easy. Beats it's are too easy. The lyrics the, too easy.
0: You know when you made literally when you made records. Not only did you record the music, but you made the records. There were so many different layers to not only the creation of the art, but getting the art to the end user. Today, literally, you record into a computer, you hit a button, and it's global. What What are your thoughts about that? Obviously, a lot of positive things, but do you think that it, in many ways it kind of diminished the the thought process behind the creation?
1: Yeah, it's like it's it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's. It's good that the fact that I come from an analog world, I know how to manipulate the digital world mm-hmm. so um um I'm just gonna say with this with this new record it was like i was I've been recording it for ten years, but i was um I was recording it using computers, and I wasn't doing any, any analog stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like it got to like year nine which is which is this year like in the middle of, um of uh, two thousand and eighteen, I just scrapped everything i worked I was working on. For those nine years, people mm. <laughs> thought I was crazy, and I just went in and I just dusted off my ASRs and got my drum machines out and shit. And it was just like it was magic, and it was magic. I got the, I got a, the, the crappiest fucking computer. I got <laughs> I went all that fucking new shiny. I got the one of my crappiest computers. I didn't didn't use my towers and G files and all that shit. The crappy ass, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I fucking got my mixing board out and fucking just like. You know, got my microphones. I got a studio, but I just like I put it to the bare bones. Right. Everything, I, I didn't. I went back to the beginning. of so, when I think about that, it's like getting that done and having that power to do it. Like when nobody else could help me. Like this record is really, really personal. It was It was almost like the, the 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 first four records. But the using the technology, going from analog into digital. And sitting back and being able to manipulate it and re record and do it myself using that digital. That's, that's important
2: mm-hmm. because
1: it's like this music is like a painting. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that, that, that part wasn't, that part was important. And when I wanted to mix it, I went to some, I went to some other, I went to like five studios and they couldn't, It was just like, it was like on the computer and everybody had a fucking nephew that could, that, you know, that, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was downstep, I'm like, No fuck fuck that shit. So I went back out to Studio 4 where I mixed those, you know, Saturday nights. Mm. And, you know, (laughs) yeah, so, so I was like, yes, this is it. And it was just like, it was, it was, we used, Mm. The, the, we use uh, 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 pro tools, but we also use the mixing board, the mm-hmm. D board. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so saying very limited on the pro pro tools, just to have the um, the stems, as they say, so we can do a lot of remixes. And, but it was just like it was, it, it went into the board, and then it went into it didn't like just go from like my computer to his computer. Fuck that bullshit. Right. Um, so on that part, it's fucking awesome. On the part that's like me creating my art. Um, it's going to get everywhere. Like, like for each song I'm, I'm painting, uh, I have a painting for each song and oh, the fact wow. that I'm going to be able to manipulate these songs it, it, it just by snapping a picture. I could mm-hmm. I could put them on my sneakers. I can put them on t-shirts. I can put them on billboards. That digital, that's fucking awesome. I think it depends on like, like for me. It's amazing because I know both worlds. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who just grew up in that world, because sometimes I I go teach classes and they get fired the next day. But, I mean, you have people who are consider themselves painters who never even touched a fucking brush. Mm -hmm. Motherfuckers who call themselves music producers who never even picked up a drumstick. That's the sad part.
2: Mm -hmm. That's the
1: sad part. That's the sad part. But getting the information, getting the music out there and the information out there. So, like, cause my my fans are scattered, like, in, you know, i got 10,000 fans in Japan, 7,000 fans in Australia, uh, uh, 40,000 fans in the UK, you know what I'm saying? Right. So using using Facebook and that shit to, to let the fans know that, you know, that that's amazing. It's mm-hmm. like you couldn't, you no longer had to wait for that shit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? I you know the people you had to hire, for me, how I many people I had to hire to, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, shit. <laughs> how many free records you had to give, give away? Mm-hmm. You got like 100,000 records pressed up. You're giving away at least 15,000 or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? For all over the world. And, uh, for DJs and shit like that. You just send somebody a file. They just download it. And they'll be bringing it to the club. Mm-hmm. That Not, shit is amazing. Indeed. But, Not to mention the somebody,
0: cost of moving that product all over the place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but and we are doing, like, we, we are doing, um, we're doing vinyl, too, which nice. is, with this stuff, but it's, um, but it's just like, and that still takes the same amount of time, six weeks.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. That shit ain't changed. That hasn't changed. That shit, like <laughs> Dude, this shit, we still got to press this, uh, we still get the mothers, it's right. still a fucking process, just, you know what I'm saying? That shit is, that, that shit is just, so things, she needs are quicker, she so needs right. like a couple weeks turnaround, right. but I'm saying for me, it's amazing, because I know how to use it now, but for I suggest anybody who wants to be a a producer is just, like, learn how to do some analog shit. If you want to be an artist, learn how to fucking paint. Then you will be the badass in class, I'm telling you. Nice. Nobody can tell you. You you will be able to do anything you want to do. Nothing can stop you because, you know what I'm saying, because sometimes electric is shit the fuck off. Wi-Fi, go down. Right. Indeed. Then what. Right, I, I'm not
0: sure if I heard the whole thing, or I heard part of the album that that Chris let me check out. I loved it, and he mentioned that you used a lot of analog or original gear. If if you don't mind, yeah. tell me a little bit about the drum machines. What what did you have on deck to uh, to make some of those tracks?
1: I went back and got all my films from from about 909, my mm-hmm. 525, and um and my ASR10. Mm-hmm. all, and and of course, you know. I don't think people know I play five instruments. Mm. So the drums, I play drums, I played the keyboards, um, I played the bass, sample myself. With, it was it was it was exactly what I should be doing. Right. And it was in the exact same way. So all those those kicks are just like are aggressive. Mm-hmm. That, that you can't get I'm, I don't care how badass your fucking program is on the computer, you can't get an aggressive kick unless it's unless it's analog. You just can't. Mm-hmm. You fucking can't. Anyway, and I dare you to, to, to get off this, this call and play, you know, play Black Sheep and then play something from now. You can't, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Play PSK, play something from now. Mm-hmm. Play Six in the Morning, play something from now. You can't. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I got like a couple more mixes to come mm-hmm. on. The, 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 um, um, but the process was, us all all the music is analog. Right. Um. Even some stuff that I, that was in the computer, I took it out of the computer, sampled it mm. and put it back in
2: right. just
1: to make sure every sound that you hear is going to be analog and it sounds it sounds like a studio record it sounds like it does a movie record that was mixed at at studio four right, right? it just it, it just does so yeah so i'm I mean, i'm fucking like I'm ecstatic and i and it's, and the thing is it's like my fans that I picked up from all, so especially like from the eighties and and the mid nineties, they're going to be, they, they, those are the people I'm thinking about. They're going to fucking love it. No question. And they definitely classic.
0: It it, it was what I heard was,
1: had a classic sound to it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's hard because you don't, you don't want to sound outdated,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, right. Or, and you don't, you definitely don't want to sound like you're taking a new style.
0: Right, right. No question oh, but, about
1: that. But you definitely don't want to play yourself like that. That's right. You definitely don't. I've, I've heard some of my my mm-hmm. my, my my cats,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, my contemporaries, mm-hmm. and the guys who came before me. I hear they, they play me some of the new stuff. I'm just, I don't embarrass them with things. Mm-hmm. I just shake my my head and shout my head. It's like hey, you're playing yourself because mm-hmm. these get the audience
2: mm-hmm.
1: all all the time. It's
0: smarter than that. Indeed, indeed. My my thought. <laughs> My thought was always because I would I would really be irritated when that would happen, especially when, when people that I was, you know, really big fan of, and and they would yeah. not they would then imitate whatever the hottest thing was, and I was like, hold yeah. up a minute, you're supposed to be the leader, not following the leader.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So, and and that's hard. You have to, you know, you have to like, you have to like, eat, you know, so you have to eat some bread and water
2: mm-hmm.
1: to just. But that's a real artist you gotta eat a little bread of water until your time come around again mm-hmm. if you if you are that type of artist' which, mm-hmm. I, which I am mm-hmm. so it's like I didn't mind eating a little bread of water it don't fucking bother me right <laughs> you know what i'm saying it just makes it just makes me more it just it's just shit it makes you hungry it's just like i'm it's like when i when I perform live i never i don't eat at least four hours before I go home because you know so it just makes you it makes you more aware like all your senses and it's like so so taking this time, these 10 years to write this record. And it was, it was, it just made me hungry. It made me want to like, "What's well, if you going to do it, you got to do it right.
0: What would you say is the biggest takeaway from your immense career and journey in not only hip hop, but the music industry as a whole and the entertainment industry? What would you say is the, is the biggest takeaway from that journey?
1: You know, Abel, when I first started working with Abel, said something to me. And he said to me, he said, you know what? You know how Prince is R&B? I'm like, yeah. But he's right to the right of Mm -hmm. R&B. says you're a rapper, and you're part of the hip-hop community, but you're also outside of the community. You're to the right and it's unmistakable, you are always gonna be you. And I think that's, and when I see people, when I see Lady D or Chuck D, or I see, when I see anybody, it's like, you know what, man? The world feels right because Schooly D is always Schooly D.
2: Mm.
1: That's right here, and, that's, and I think about it, and it's hard, but it's it's hard being that dude Sometimes, but it's like it's such a pleasure being myself.
0: That's awesome, man. And I wanna thank you so much for all your time and insight and also for your art, man, for always being true, authentic. All right, my brother. Take care of yourself, man.